0: daily podcast our best of podcast we do a three-hour show every day on SiriusXM Patriot but we just take uh, usually the opening segment and then an interview just to give you a little taste of what we do over there and hopefully you can join us every day and the full podcast is on SiriusXM's app as well uh, so this is our opening segment and we did so much on today's show this was the opening segment for no particular reason uh, other than this video I don't know made me happier than it should have Ah, that's not right Can you feel bad for people? Do you feel sympathy for the people of Oakland? They voted for this. They're getting what they voted for. Can you then also, can that be true and feel bad for them? Do you have any sympathy or no? Here's what happened at a community meeting they had with police officers and and the district attorney. It didn't go well for them because it hasn't been going well for the people of Oakland. Here it is. chicago this last week i i every monday i feel like I, I get this number this number pops up somewhere in my day and it's high but it, it, i don't know what number it has to be in order to hit the threshold of me mentioning it i guess this is the number 50 50 people were shot in chicago and they're all like one or two th- it's not there there's a you know a mass shooting of the the like basically 50 different instances of people getting shot. Maybe not 50, 30, 30, 35, something like that. That's crazy. 50. I want to talk a little more detail about the LeBron James school in Ohio. We'll talk more about that coming up. And the point is no matter how much money you throw into a broken culture, you're never going to see anything change. Nothing's going to change until the culture changes. And we have a culture where every weekend people shoot 50 other people and, and nothing changed. Like, it'd be one thing if this happened three weekends in a row and we were finally like, all right, all right, all right come, on, come on. This happened for decades. And LeBron James comes in the middle of this and says, hey, let's start a new school. And 50 people get shot every weekend? Like what's what's going to change there? And it's all ages. The first fatal shooting of the weekend, two guys pulled a gun on each other, and w- one of them died. He, he got shot in the head. He was 61. Another 66-year-old was shot in the chest and died. So this isn't even punk kids. who's 60-year-olds. Uh, There was a 20-year-old woman and a 30-year-old man. They were walking down the street. They got, uh, there was a drive-by, shot the guy 10 times. Another drive-by shot a group of women. One was killed, eight were injured. It's like, what in the world? You know, the uh, Try That in a Small Town, Jason Aldean song, that's all controversy. He performed it in Boston. And here's what he said. He said, I was laying in bed last night. And I was thinking to myself, you guys would get this better than anybody. I would play this audio, but whenever singers talk in concerts, first of all, the audio is terrible. You can barely hear them. And they'll say a sentence at a time, and then everyone cheers for 30 seconds. Like, no matter what he says, everyone's like, Aah! So it's like, you just cannot listen to anything that someone's, it's, it takes forever. Anyway, uh, I remember a time when the Boston Marathon happened. What I saw when that happened was a whole, not a small town, a big town coming together, no matter the color, no matter anything. The whole country, especially Boston, came together to find those jerks who did that. And any of you guys that would have found those guys before the cops did, I know you guys from Boston, and you guys would have beat the blank out of that dude. It's not about race. It's about people getting their blank together and acting right and acting like they got some common sense. I don't care what color you are. If you're acting out, burning down buildings, costing taxpayers all this money, just for you to go and show that you're ticked off, to me, I just don't get it, we're never gonna see eye to eye on that. And of course that's right. But I, I, I do maybe it's not. Otherwise people in our cities would've gotten a handle on their own town by now, wouldn't they? Try that, Try that in Try that in Philadelphia. Like, why isn't that a song? Like, like try that in my own neighborhood. Apparently they can. Like, the gangs are too strong. The police are too impotent. I don't, there's, there's too many forces coming down. There's too many forces from the elites coming down on innocent people in these neighborhoods, the people who do want to do right, and they just can't get a grasp on changing things. It's crazy. No matter how outraged they are, It doesn't change this is a report from cbs news in san francisco oakland about a special community meeting pamela price was there she's the new d.a this is after they got rid of uh what's his name chesa was the george soros d.a in san francisco they voted him out in a special election he's so crazy so pamela price is the new d.a
1: A crowd of people outside wasn't even allowed in as Montclair Presbyterian Church was filled to capacity. The crowd inside was eager to talk about violent crime and started interjecting as District Attorney Pamela Price tried to go into a presentation about Criminal Justice 101. Some people want to know it because everybody does not know it. This
0: is great. So she has a, a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> it says criminal justice 101 at the top this is so good so the DA says alright let me go let's, let's go meet with these angry people Okay, let's go calm them down Oakland by the way let, let me go to these people you know what they need they need a little education they just don't understand how the criminal justice system works so let me put together a little powerpoint and I'll tell them how it all works <laughs> it's like oh lady you're, you, you're not even close we got it we know how it should work it's very instinctual bad people do bad things we hire you to either stop them or punish them and if you don't then we are going to revert back to the way it used to be and we are going to take matters into our own hands and we will start shooting back at the gang members or doing whatever Jason Aldean said in his song, right? He said, uh, try that in a small town, see how far you make it down the road. Around here we take care of our own. That's like, people will start doing that. If you don't do your job, then people will do it themselves. And there was a reason why we came up with police, right? There was a reason why we moved away from the system of personal retaliation. But these people are failing so miserably at their job that that's where we're headed back to. We hire you to do the policing. You are the district attorney. But if you refuse to do your job long enough, we will take matters into our own hands. Do not lecture us how the system works. We got it. You're broken. It's broken. Fix it.
1: The frustration wasn't just aimed at the district attorney. Captain Clay Birch from the Oakland Police Department was questioned about what officers are doing to prevent crime.
2: Brothers in
0: blue.
2: I know your hands are tied, but you gotta be doing some preventative stuff. Yeah, you know, you standing here on the corner right here in my clear. You can hear the bucket cars come up here robbing us blind, you know? Amen. I mean, you know, please talk about preventative, not a crime happens.
0: Oh, that's so good. All right, hold on. You can't, you can't in elite circles, the people who are running the show here, the criminologists in our universities who have come up with this nonsense, you can't talk about preventative policing because it's racist, they said. Preventative policing is something like stop and frisk. The left hates that. Now, you as a conservative may not like it, too. That's fine. But the point was, it was an effort by the police to get a little ahead of the game. It's a police officer patrolling a neighborhood. You look shady. You look like a gang member doing gang member things right now. And police would do some preventative work. And they did it, and they were called racist. And now you have black people in Oakland begging them. Can you please, please, can you do some preventative work around here? It's fantastic.
1: Captain Birch tried to explain how the department's hands are tied, especially when it comes to property crime.
3: If all we have is a burglary and my officer sees five cars being broken into and that car takes off, we can't chase that car.
1: But a lot of the anger tonight was directed at crime sprees where kids...
0: Real quick, sorry. All you have is a burglary. You know, from time to time, if there's a burglary, you could perhaps say that. But when it's constant... But it's so constant. When your quality of life is so horrific, there's so many burglaries nonstop that people in San Francisco and Oakland leave their car doors open, like literally open, the trunks open, just to prove to people that there's nothing inside the car. Like, look, look, I got it. Take what, there's nothing in here. I'm leaving my trunk open. Please just don't break my window. I fixed this window 20 times. There's nothing in here. And I'm proving to you there's nothing in here by literally leaving the door, not unlocked, open. I'm leaving the doors and the trunk open to prove to you there's nothing in here. That's not just a burglary anymore. This is a massive quality of life issue, but they still call it just a burglary. And that car takes off. We can't chase that car.
1: But a lot of the anger tonight was directed at crime sprees where kids are the suspects. District Attorney Pamela Price said in a recent case there wasn't enough evidence to take a group of kids to court. What happened after they were let go? Probably attacked someone else. Yeah, I mean vicious
0: little monsters. Many. <laughs> I got picked up on the mic. Vicious little monsters. The deal is the gangs know that kids, minors, won't be tried as adults. And they can get away, almost literally, they can get away with murder. Uh, A 17-year-old murders someone, 16, 15. They'll spend a year in juvenile or something. uh, Let out when they're 18 or 22. States are a little different there. But uh, the gangs know to have kids, minors, commit these crimes. And then, so you got that. And then you also have just roaming kids. You have a hundred of them coming together to rob a store like these flash mob robberies. I don't, I don't know how to stop that. Then hold parents accountable for their kids. Like if this happens at 2am, like what are you doing parents? Like there's gotta be some parental accountability here, like, like legal accountability
1: concerned residents wanted to hear more about how criminals are punished. I just want to say that there must be consequences. Yes. yes. unreal that there are no consequences for these children. Price did talk about the movement within the state to decriminalize kids, a movement that she identifies with.
4: One of my goals is that I will give young people hope that because I was on doing some things that I shouldn't have been doing, but because some people believed in me, that they helped me find another way.
1: Many residents though say at this point, they no longer feel safe in Oakland and they want more cops.
0: No longer feel safe. And they want more cops. That's the rest of the time. no longer feel safe. (laughs) So here's my question. Do you have sympathy for the people of Oakland? Do you have sympathy? for the people of Oakland. I wonder how many of them participated in Black Lives Matter marches. I wonder how many of them were all in on the George Floyd madness. I wonder how many of them wanted to defund the police when it was the popular thing to do. Do you feel bad for the people of Oakland? Can you, can you have people get what they voted for, good and hard, which is clearly what is happening here, and still feel bad for them? Are you able to do both those things? Or no, you can't feel bad for them. Like they, they get what they voted for and sorry, tough. Tough noogies, as we used to say when I was a kid. I haven't said that in 20 years. <laughs> tough noogies. Sorry. That's on you. Or are you able to be like, hey, listen, you get what you voted for and I'm sorry. I like, I feel really bad for you that this is your life right now. But... Or, or do you not feel bad? I don't know. How do, you, how do you do that? Elections have consequences. And you definitely get the government you deserve. And it's great because Gavin Newsom, his whole campaign, his rebuttal all this is that these are red states. Like, like you have uh, crime happening in uh, cities, but the cities are in red states. You're like, yeah, no, that's that's not that's not it. Nice try, Gavin, because Oakland sure ain't. But these the elites in these towns will never change course. That's it. You'll never convince Pamela Price or any whoever the DA is in your town or whoever. You'll never convince the Democratic mayors or whoever to change course. They won't. They will not. It is very hard for someone to admit they're wrong. It's a in many cases career ending. It's one of the hardest things for human beings to do is to admit they were wrong. And it's a funny thing, humility is, because it's very hard at first. It it might be the hardest thing ever to admit you were wrong. But once you do it, once you do it, it's pretty easy actually. The first one's the hardest. And then once you humble out a little, you can admit you're wrong every day. And it's not a big deal. Like, ah, I blew that, I'm sorry. I was like, 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 the first time to say that is really hard, but eventually you're like, oh yeah, I'm wrong all the time. I make mistakes constantly and I uh, apologize for that. That was really bad. I made it, right? It's like no problem once you get used to it, but the first one's the hardest and these elites will not and cannot. So nothing's going to change. Came across this clip from uh, the great Mike Rowe. I'm a huge Mike Rowe fan. And he's talking about Bud Light, but it's a lot more than just Bud Light
2: i think we've entered a new age of doubt and i think that scares the expert class and they they shouldn't be scared (laughs) they should be curious to figure out how to fix it they should be they should be determined to win back their reputation they Mm -hmm. should apologize for being hypocritical they should admit when they're wrong you want to win the trust back of your consumers well the first thing you have to do is honestly and sincerely apologize and then you have to do something about it right this i forget its name but i just read an article yesterday the ceo of that brand said i i accept 100% this is this is on me this this was my fault and then he pivoted to talk about what he was going to do moving forward, as opposed to quitting. Now, I'm not calling on the CEO no. of Anheuser-Busch. To, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, isn't it interesting to live in a time where you can accept 100% responsibility for devastating, catastrophic results? To, the 65,000 employees yeah. are liable to lose their job when a brand that big falls apart. Yeah. So he's 100% accepting responsibility, but he's not resigning. Yeah. He's not, he's saying, as a result, I need to step back. I need to introduce you to my replacement. I believe she or he has their head screwed on straight. We're going to work hard to win back your trust, and we're going to take the slings and arrows that we deserve for violating that trust. Yeah. If I hear that from a CEO who wants to win my trust back, I'll give him a chance. If I hear it from a doctor who got it wrong, or a politician, yeah. or a journalist, okay, right. now, now I'm listening. But if you're going to march forward with the same old routine, la, 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 nothing to see here, oh, he's just a doubter, he's just a denier, he's just a skeptic, I don't think that's going to fly in 2024.
0: Forget about a brand falling apart. Again, the context of that was Bud Light. Forget about a brand falling apart and affecting you know, people who work at the distribution centers. It's bad. But we're talking about entire cities full of people who have fallen apart. Generations of lives ruined from progressive ideology. Not just, it's not even just policy. This isn't just bad policy but just cultural poison that has been inflicted upon millions of people. We, we can just start with a welfare system. This is all progressive stuff, a welfare system that is re- intended to replace the father and has devastated generations of families. Like that, thats that's a bigger deal than Bud Light. That's all these I, I, these criminal justice experts, these people who couldn't have gotten it more wrong and they continue to march forward and never change course because they have their jobs and there's a lot of money to be made. I should say a lot of money to be lost if you admit you're wrong and resign. The CEO of Anheuser-Busch, he makes $12 million a year. You think he's going to resign from that? He's going to resign from a $12 million a year job. No way. We as a culture used to demand it though. We would accept nothing less, but we don't demand it anymore. So none of them resign. There's never accountability. And politicians keep their jobs and march forward with the same policies, the same criminal justice policies, and people's lives are ruined because of it, and they don't care. Just the other day, there's an immigrant cab driver, married father of two, New York City, beaten up by a group of, uh, I think, five people. I can see five people in the video. Two of them were arrested, and nothing, literally nothing. 60-year-old man beaten up on the city streets, nothing. He said, if they're not going to put them behind bars, this is a horrible system. I am hopeless and helpless with this system. Send the mayor the video. There's video of this. Send the mayor the video and tell him, die with the shame. <laughs> it's harsh, but real. How about this guy's hopelessness? are like, oh what do you mean they just beat me up they kicked me in the head when i was on the ground well they have no priors like uh, they I, I, there's a video of them kicking me in the head have no priors what do you, like they they it, they did it they did a thing it's on video and they're like oh well they don't have prior <laughs> it is the current i forget about the priors what about the current what about the right now and that is hopeless feeling. Now, what is it ultimately that will get people in cities really fired up? Illegal immigrants. Who could have seen that one coming? I got out the local news report, this time out of Chicago. Citizens in the Woodland uh, neighborhood, Woodlawn neighborhood, Gathered to express anger and frustration over the degradation of their neighborhood after a city sponsored border crosser shelter. Border crosser shelter, isn't that great? A city sponsored border crosser. <laughs> That's all. They're just border crossers. Border crosser shelter opened up in an old elementary school. One woman said, I would ask that all of you go there. Go out there in the night, in the middle of the night, and see what goes on. So this is at a local, local uh, police department, city council meeting here.
1: What a night and see what goes on. What's going on, according to community members, is loitering, late night partying, littering, prostitution, and at least one fight between migrants and residents.
3: It got a little heated, uh, things got, objects got thrown.
1: But many of these residents say they no longer have any tolerance for the disruptive behavior by those seeking asylum here. It's making them feel unsafe disrespect us, they rob us, they harass us, and their patience
2: right here. is wearing thin. Let me say this, they got one more time to deal with it, because otherwise, next time they deal with it, they're going to deal with it from the streets. We're going to take over. it. Nobody's going to be able to stop us from what we're going to do to them.
0: That's what I'm talking about. That's what comes next. That's the Jason Aldean song. That's what I'm saying. We hired you guys to do a job. You're not going to do it. Then we'll do it. We're going to take over and you can't stop us. So take care of this now or else we will. That's what's next. And that's not good, by the way. By the way, these are all black people at the meeting. Why can't Trump get 50% of the black black vote? Like what's going on? (laughs) What is going on? latest news and it's all over breitbart.com the latest what we can what we can know and trust uh, with Russia uh, caught my attention we don't talk about Russia and Ukraine often because I can't you, you can't trust uh, you know most that comes out of there but this story is confirmed by both Ukraine and Russia so it, it happened and to me it seems like a major escalation and a moment for reflection on where we're headed where we've been where are we going and uh, a man whose insight I trust, U.S. Air Force retired Brigadier General Blaine Holt, a former NATO Deputy Commander. His take on what happened and what we do now. Blaine Holt, how are you, sir? That's great to return, Mike. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to talk to you. He's also the co-founder of Restore Liberty, and you can find them on Restore Liberty on the Twitter. Um, Blaine, I wanted to talk to you because I feel like uh, we as a country and a people need a reevaluation of Ukraine and Russia, and I don't want to talk about Ukraine and Russia every day. We don't, because I don't, I can't trust anything that any news that comes out. So what am I supposed to do if I can't trust the news? Like, how can I respond or react or whatever? But it seems like both sides are saying a thing happened, so I think we can kind of move forward with that. And I don't think most people were prepared for this or haven't thought this through. So I just wanted to get your your thoughts on it. Uh, so the reports came out this weekend yeah. that there were drone strikes in Russian territory. And when I first read that, I was like, oh, Crimea? And then I kept reading, and it's in Moscow. That's, so first of all, is do you find that to be true, credible? And and am I right in saying that that seems very different than what we've been doing?
3: You're absolutely correct. They have hit uh, a building, a tower in uh, Moscow city. That's the, the business section or the skyscraper section of moscow and then they just hit it again the exact same target hours ago um moscow confirms that there are uh, uh government offices in there but we don't know what what is actually in there that would cause uh, a ukrainian group in operating inside of moscow to hit that uh twice we, we don't know so so there is some military value but to your point yeah, this is definitely different. This is a different push that the Ukrainians are doing. There, there is a total attrition World War I style lockup on the battlefield and it's just absolutely a meat grinder from the north all the way down to Odessa. The Russians are now going on to the offensive. They're not just defending, they're actually starting to move the lines in Kharkiv and down in Odessa. And so uh, we don't understand the strategy, and we don't have a lot of transparency here at home. Uh, you can't trust the mainstream media, and the government's certainly not telling us how our money's being spent or what the strategy is to off ramp this war.
0: Okay, I want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt here for So, is, are these drone attacks from ukraine or are is this a surveillance drone that was shot out of the sky and landed in a building i I think there's some sort of difference there i guess i don't know is there there a distinction there
3: yeah it it, it could have been but the problem is they just hit it again not three and a half hours ago so there's no randomality to that uh and it's, it's very unlikely that those drones made it all the way from Ukraine uh, undetected. They have air defenses all over Moscow. So what I believe Moscow is dealing with is probably a, either a Ukrainian sympathizing group or a Ukrainian cell um, uh, operating inside of Moscow with limited short-range drones to go after precise targets. But the idea that you're going to hit something with a drone – that precise from Ukrainian soil? That's
0: that's unlikely. Oh, okay. Hold on. Now this just blew my mind again. So wait, what is what does that look like? How how can how can you have pro-Ukrainian people in Russia that have drones? Like what's what's the how does that how does that work? Well, that, how do they how that, do they launch that's them? Gorilla, and...
3: That's what guerrilla warfare looks like. That that's what um, you know. Go back go back to World War II and think French resistance and blowing up bridges mysteriously and the Nazis not really understanding how to interdict those supply chains and supply lines until they eventually did. So you can bet that the Russian FSB and a very furious Vladimir Putin is uh, asking the exact same questions. How can this happen in Moscow and how are we not detecting it? But, but it, it does appear that after hitting that government building in Moscow an, another time. Now, you, you could flip, this, flip the script and, and come up with the theory that, well, are the Russians doing this is a false mm-hmm. flag. It's highly it's, it's doubtful to me that that is so because Putin already had the embarrassment of the Wagner thing. And the last thing he wants to transmit to the Russian people right now is any kind of weakness or any kind of loss of mm-hmm. control on Moscow's part.
0: Okay. Because I... I... I don't. Whenever I think false flag, I don't know if I'm going into Alex Jones territory too much, or or no. That's a legitimate thing that we need to consider.
3: It is. Yeah, those are legitimate military strategies. So you want to mm. give an impression that something happened that you can react to that your enemy didn't really do. That that has absolutely been on the table for a long time. But um, I just I'm now that we've seen what's happened in the last forty eight hours, it, it's. I just don't see that the Russians would have this in their best interest to do if uh, they're trying to transmit this uh, strength and that they've got control of the war to the Russian people. The other thing that's like, very unpopular in Russia is they're talking about another mobilization, which could be up to another 500,000 soldiers oh, uh, that would be called up by uh, the Russian government. And, and so they're trying to manage public opinion there. It's not I, – I just don't see that the Russians would tag their own building uh Uh, I don't know what the purpose would
0: be. All right. So do you think Ukraine, if this happened in Russia, do you think Ukraine, Zelensky knew it, are a part of it, uh, supported it beforehand, et cetera? It could
3: be. um, But you could also, they can have knowledge of an independent operating group that that really doesn't communicate with Kiev because that's so dangerous. So they could have had orders before, it could be a group that is a special operations group that, you know, interdicted or went in under enemy fire undetected and got into Moscow and is operating clearly there. There's it, it a variety of ways that you could do that. But what, what is true is um, uh, in two successive nights, we saw a building in what most Moscovites would say is a very safe part of Moscow doing their normal work. Getting hit. Um, it is a government building. You could make the argument that it's a legitimate military ar- uh, target, but but you also would then have to question, as a strategist, <laughs> why is this in Kyiv's best interest? Mm-hmm. Because now Moscow is going to probably double down on air attacks into Odessa, which they absolutely are, and Kharkiv. And these are the very northern part of the battlefield, or battlefront, and the very southern part, on where the coast is. And the Russian army now is advancing in both those directions uh not in a defensive position but actually taking land and so uh the ukrainian army has their hands full i'm not sure why it's a smart idea to go tagging buildings in um in
0: moscow whose drones do you think these are so that's a great me- question. Me- meaning meaning like where they, like who made them is what i mean
3: right exactly so if the, if, if the drones are nato kit uh, and the Russians can find out about that. If, if those are Western-made drones, they're going to make a big deal out of that. But the Ukrainians have their own drones, their own drone manufacturing capability. Really? Um, and, and I would estimate that that's probably likely.
0: I didn't know, I didn't know they, were, they had a manufacturing ability to make drones in Ukraine. I thought they had oh, they to be. They do.
3: In fact, they're, they're very innovative. They're very innovative. They can take a base drone of any kind. They can make them themselves. And the, some of the software that the Ukrainians have put on these things are just absolutely amazing.
0: Wow, that's interesting. So that gives us... I'm trying to think of what America's role is in this and how we can get further okay. dragged in. I was worried it was our drone. It was, <laughs> what's the point of my question? Yeah. I don't think that
3: they would be, but... Uh, what America's role is a couple of roles. What one of them should be uh, consultation and strategy with NATO and the Ukrainians to ask them about this and to query them on why this is a valid military strategy in their best interest, what they're hoping to achieve about this. The other thing is is uh, America needs to develop its own diplomatic strategy, which has failed to do so for 18 months. About what what are the ways, ends, and means to get to the end of this war, Um, because every single day we see nothing more than uh, escalation up. The Russians are using food as a weapon. We see that all the way down to Cape Town, South Africa now, that they've hit food stocks, and the Russians are now taking the Wagner group, reconstituting them, and put them in a very threatening position up in Belarus, where the Polish are now starting to get nervous and and reacting. So um, we're seeing escalation. We're seeing it potential expansion of the war and yet we don't hear anything from our state department
0: i don't hear anything about stopping just just, i want to i just want to go more on that point i don't hear anyone talking about ending a war i hear support ukraine but they don't finish the thought to ending there's no ever there's no talk about ending i just and stopping the fighting and i heard it now
3: it's the opposite of that Look at look at what Lin, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham yesterday uh, said to Medvedev's latest round of rants. If, if if Russia does this, we'll do this. It's yeah. We, we that's, we're talking about uh, the world's uh, most nuclear weapon nation. Uh This is you know we we we've got to start standing up and saying, what are we hoping to achieve? The logistics that we've applied to this thing is not getting us any more than World War One. We do not have close air support operating in this in this war. We're not achieving anything from the counter, uh, uh, this offensive that we've been transmitting we were going to do for months and months and months, which the Russians just said, fine, we've got a lot of time to prepare. But in that whole entire time, and this is why it gets so dangerous, rather than saying, all right, well, let's sit down and find out where we can go ahead and off-ramp the war, get to some sort of diplomatic solution. We're, we're actually uh, matching rhetoric, and, uh, and I don't find that to be in our interest unless the White House uh, or unless military leaders can stand up and say, aha, here's our strategy, these are our aims, and this is what we're going to do, uh, and this is what we can achieve. That's what needs to be done next. We haven't seen that. We didn't see it at the NATO summit either.
0: Would they not? make those things public or do they have to at this point they
3: don't have to but they should actually start to reassure the american people that hey we've committed over 110 billion dollars to this thing um we're (laughs) it's not auditable we're not there's no transparency on that money Uh, and we want to know as americans that's what that's going to achieve we also want to know in a very dangerous geopolitical environment where World War III is one of the most common things uttered these days, you've got potential wars breaking out with China, North Korea, Iran, Russia, all over the world. And so if we're applying all this weaponry, if we're applying all this money to this, what are we getting for this? What, are we weakening ourselves in other ways uh, look at your southern border. Look at us finding Chinese uh, police stations in our own country. Look at uh, the Chinese biolab that was discovered yesterday. Yeah. China says they've got malware embedded on our systems, or at least we're saying that. Um, are we are we properly defending the United States? It, do we have a strategy that uh, we can tell the American people we've got national defense covered? Um, I am in no way convinced that, uh, that that we do. No,
0: and that's not – that's – bad Uh, i'm talking with blaine holt u.s air force brigadier general uh former nato deputy commander what would it take for russia to use a nuclear weapon because when i was growing up the whole thing was mutually assured destruction and that that was like this this is thrown at you as a kid that oh don't worry no one will ever use one because if you do you'll be destroyed mutually assured so it's all fine it's a big stalemate everything's good And I've grown up now to question everything. And I question even that very concept. Is that true? That if someone were to use one, then the whole world would rise up again? I don't know. I don't know how true that even is. So what would it take for Moscow to use one?
3: Well, Moscow is saying they've lowered that bar. I mean, if you listen to uh, Medvedev, who used to be the president of Russia, and his rants just about every day, uh, he keeps threatening the nuclear weapon. But they've taken tractable actions to show that they... They could, so they have taken tactical nuclear weapons and they have moved them into Belarus. And we're very worried that they, they, you know, if something happens in their war, or they get cornered or uh, they're pushed, they would actually detonate one of these things at Ukraine. But, but now you've got all of Eastern Europe very worried that those things could be used for them too against Poland, against Lithuania, Latvia, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia. So. The, the, the Russians are raising the threat of potential use of nuclear weapons. Here's, here's why I don't think that they're going to. Um, mutually assured destruction is still on the books. Most simulations on both sides and war games would indicate that if you, de- if you detonate one, you've got a very high probability of risk of es- immediate escalation. And, and, and so right now, at least, for right now on the battlefield, we see the Russians actually – turning the tide and pushing and taking ground. I don't see a Russia that feels like it's successful on the battlefield in Ukraine, turning to nuclear weapons, but they certainly are not shy on threatening them. And, uh, and folks uh, over here are not shy on threatening right back, which I find to be very irresponsible. We need to, we need to start upping our game in the diplomatic front.
0: But you think mutually assured destruction is still a strong deterrent?
3: Um, It's less so than when we were kids. Uh, Today, what we're worried about is the proliferation uh, amongst nations where that won't mean much at all. So Iran is on the eve of getting nuclear weapons. Uh, North Korea has nuclear weapons and now wants to be recognized as in the so-called nuclear club. Uh, I don't have any confidence that those regimes would ever responsibly um, respect mutually assured destruction doctrine. And uh, and and so that's that's where we're at. So no, what they, you know the, it, it's called MAD mutual assured destruction. I think that that's far less comforting than when you and I were hiding under desks in the yeah uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I'm trying, trying to can think can of. Work, by the way, <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying. to think of yeah right. Of course, I was trying to think. Of, trying to think of our current political s- situation. Uh, and you talked about just weakness at home and lack of protecting home. And if if Russia used a small tactical nuclear weapon in some field in Ukraine, I just see the, I see uh, the political people like, wow, well, well <laughs> you know, and then once they like, we well, can't. What are we gonna do? It's a field. It was no big deal. It's a tiny bomb. There's regular bombs that are bigger than this bomb. So now, okay, well, now that door's been opened. Now, we, now you can use certain yeah. types of nuclear weapons in certain places and it's okay. You know what I mean? Like I, I see them like slowly escalating nuclear weapons. I don't see them dropping a, a, a hydrogen bomb over Kiev. That would be bad. I mean like obvious, but slowly yeah. ramping it up, right? Wouldn't that be a play? Has that been war gamed?
3: I don't think, yeah, I don't think that they'd ever get the chance to uh, calmly uh, uh, de-escalate everybody's concern over a 10 kiloton weapon being detonated in ukraine here's why you've already got european populations across the entire continent who are waning in their support for the war who are uh, undergoing crushing problems economically and their own uh immigration problems that uh, are right up there with ours uh there is violence that it's all over europe you see you saw french start to france start to burn again with protests you add in to the mix um, a nuclear weapon detonating on the European continent, the populations will absolutely erupt. They, the, the protests will be something fierce from that, and it will also be on the Russian side as well. Mm-hmm. So there's just a cauldron of events and and what we call cascading effect, uh, effects or second- and third-order effects that you don't know what's going to happen. Um the sensitivity to a nuclear detonation, I think, around the world would be just something quite astonishing, okay. and I just don't think that you'd be able to get a, say, a John Kirby up on a podium and go, now, 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 we're we're all okay. Okay, <laughs> I,
0: okay. I, <laughs> okay. all right, that's good. Not see it go that way. Uh, last question for you. You have uh, sixty seconds to talk to the president. What's your first most important piece of advice right now with this situation?
3: It would be, sir, we've got to get an off-ramp strategy. We've got to absolutely look at the resources that we've applied to this, and we have to find out if geopolitically in this world, um, does this meet our interests in terms of our national security? Um, we, We have to find a way to get to the end of this war because we're facing other threats around the world, and we've got to use our very, very scarce resources appropriately to those
0: ends former NATO Deputy Commander Brigadier General Blaine Holt. Blaine, thank you for being here. I hope every time something, at least from my perspective, seems like it escalates and people aren't talking about it enough, I hope we can give you a call and you can give us some more insight.
3: I'm always at your service and thank you for having me. It's an honor.
0: Thank you. Restore Liberty. Uh, He's the co-founder of Restore Liberty. You can find them on Twitter and online, of course. Restore Liberty Brigadier General Blaine Holt. Fantastic. Keeping our international theme of today's show, we also talked to Frances Martel, Breitbart News World Editor, and I love her mission statement of taking these international issues that seem irrelevant, seem very far away, uh, overwhelming, daunting, I can't even pronounce all the words, of the, and make them relevant to us. And she's wonderful at that. And what happened in Niger the other day caught my attention because that's a real insurrection. We've been told that there was an insurrection in America attempt two years ago and that's total nonsense. Here's a real insurrection in Niger and what does that have to do with us? And one thing she didn't mention, as she messaged me afterwards, is we have two American military bases in Niger. We have two U.S. military bases. What does that mean for those bases and the people on them, the Americans on them, now that that country is run by uh, the military dictatorship? And then what will happen next? Here's Francis Martel. Francis, how are you? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me back. Yeah. I want to run to uh, Niger first in. Uh, Western, or sort of Central Western Africa. Uh, and I saw this the other day and I thought of you to give us some insight into what's going on here. So for, for if, maybe you can bring it, make it relevant to uh, an American driving down the street right now, like that'd be great. Uh, but if not, I still <laughs> Yeah, think yeah,
4: this is exactly what my job is, is to yeah, but... <laughs> make these like obscure foreign conflicts relevant to you. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, so like you said, this is an actual insurrection. And what that looks like is, you are watching the nightly news with your family and a bunch of soldiers just show up on the, in the studio and start talking about how your government no longer exists. Um, so that's what happened to the people of Niger last week on Thursday. Um, a bunch of military uniformed guys just show up on TV, say, we've kidnapped the president. There's no more president. We're taking over. Um, and so far, the president, we believe, President Bazum is still uh, in his palace kidnapped. Um, We believe he's safe because he's been able to speak to several foreign leaders. Um, But we don't really know what's going on with him and the people running the country. Um, So check this out. The head of his presidential guard has declared himself the president. So talk about a backstab, right? (laughs) Um, But it's like the head of the Secret Service just declares that he's the president. Um, And um, so now the situation is very volatile because – There's So Niger was like the last pro-U.S. government in that region. Um, Mm. Mali and Burkina Faso, which were nearby, um, they had very similar coups in the past two years. I think Guinea also had a a coup like this where you're sitting in your house and the the soldiers disappear on TV and that's it. You know, you live in a a military dictatorship. Um, So the countries around Niger that are not like that, Nigeria, Ghana, um, all these West African countries came out on Sunday and said, if you don't reinstate the democratically elected president, we could invade your country. Um, so now they're talking about a military invasion of Niger. And Mali and Burkina Faso, which are military dictatorships, came out and said, if you invade, we're going to get involved. Um, so now you have a World War One powder keg situation.
0: Wow, super. So what, what are the first two countries you mentioned, Nigeria and what else?
4: Nigeria and Ghana, there's a few other smaller ones that are that just that sort of West Africa cluster. Okay. Um, so, it's called so ECOWAS, the, the um, Western African States Coalition.
0: Okay, so are those, are Nigeria and Ghana, that's, uh, here I am in my very American mindset, are they the good guys who are saying, hey, we're going to go, if you guys don't get this figured out, we're going to go into Niger and help you out and, and help provide stability or are they still kind of like no no we're just gonna go we're gonna take you over and make you our own now
4: no no they're gonna go invade and overthrow the soldiers and put the president who was elected back in power Got That's it. What okay they
0: so, all right so so they they're on pro stability I guess or whatever is that kind of but, yeah
4: and but, and they're the countries that are most friendly to the United States like we give okay. millions of dollars to Nigeria and to Ghana for stability reasons um so they're kind of like our buddies in the
0: region okay interesting now so okay so but then you said molly and burkina faso who are the bad guys again this is not you know good bad whatever but they're they're like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. you you go in there then we're going in and we are going to what we're going to make it our own or we're going to support the military coup
4: they're going to support the military coup because those governments also came about from military coups. The, the Burkina Faso coup was in November, so it's very, very fresh.
0: Wow. Okay, so this is um, a good portion of Africa. I wonder, do you have anything off the top of your head about like, what this looks for like population of Africa or geographic size of Africa or geopolitical importance of Africa, uh, this, these, these countries that you're speaking of right now? Like, wh- what is the size of the powder keg, if you will?
4: Um, so the big the, the big uh, problem here is Nigeria because Nigeria is the biggest economy in Africa and it's simply gigantic. It's just if Nigeria gets involved in a regional war, then mm. you're destabilizing the entire continent. You're creating a huge migrant crisis for Europe. Um, that's that's the big question mark here. Um, Niger is big geographically and it has uranium. That's the big. Um, so Niger was a French colony um, and. So France uses a lot of nuclear power, and they get a lot of the uranium from Niger. Um, that seems like it's not going to happen anymore because the military coup Ooh. people do not want to be friends with France yes. for obvious reasons. France colonized them. Um, so that's a, another you know, question mark. You're destabilizing European energy because where's France going to get uranium now? Um, And then you've got but it's not a big population. So Niger and Chad and and Burkina Faso to a certain extent, too. um, And definitely Mali. These are like desert regions. These are very dry places. These are not places anyone's having any agricultural marvels happening. So they have to sell things like uranium. So it isn't a lot of people, but it's a lot of um, kind of really sensitive economic and political um, ties that are being you know, potentially cut here
0: very interesting okay uh and if you i think the closest correct me if i'm wrong to uh why do i care is you mentioned migrant crisis like when we are a part of destabilizing libya it, it was very easy to say well, who cares it's libya like whatever and then you're like oh well okay well talk to greece and italy and like the rest of europe about destabilizing a country and what that means to them and therefore us uh so that's one thing that i haven't thought of yet is is a is a migrant crisis that's not good again
4: yeah that's very potentially possible and the other factor here is russia which i i um sorry it took me so long to even get to this but um burkina faso and mali uh those uh coups were pro russian coups um the wagner people the mercenaries they're very active there um the head of of wagner prigozhin who is the guy who Staged his own insurrection um, a couple of months ago and failed. He came out and he supported the coup and he was like, wink, wink, you know, if you need any more mercenaries, I'm here for you. So the Russians have a lot to gain here, too. That's another part of this puzzle. And it's also, you know, we've spent the past year being told that there could be another world war because of Ukraine from people who are very Eurocentric in their thinking, right? Like, if it happens in Europe, it matters. If it doesn't happen in Europe, who cares? Yeah. Now we have a situation that I think is way closer to becoming a world war. You know, if Nigeria decides to send troops into Niger, and that triggers Mali sending potentially Russian Wagner forces into Niger, then you've got – that's a world war. And that, to me, is much more likely than Russia nuking anybody oh, right now. So that, that's the big, you know, why have- do you care?
0: Well, there's definitely a—I uh, don't know if it's an American mentality or a Mike Slater mentality of, oh, geez, <laughs> Africa, what a mess. My, um, my Uber driver just the other day was from Ethiopia, and I'm talking to him about life in Ethiopia, and he's like, "Oh man, it's just a disaster." So I'm very like, whatever, Africa. Like, sorry guys, but China is intimately involved in Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many, as uh, Russia intimately involved. In like for some reason, other countries around the world find great importance in Africa. And I feel like we dismiss Africa to our own peril.
4: Absolutely. And, and I think this comes from, and you know, I remember like before I got into this business, I had the same attitude of I'm never going to figure that out. It's a huge mess. (laughs) I'm never going to figure out what's going on in Africa. um, And I don't think I'll ever figure out enough to help fix it, especially. Mm -hmm. Um, But what really got me to, to sort of think more about it is the reason it feels like that is that our media, our establishment corporate media, doesn't want to talk about Africa, doesn't want to talk about Latin America, because they went, you know, they're in communities that are European dominant. They went to fancy colleges where they learned, you know, about Francis Fukuyama and the end of history and how the Russians are the only bad guys. And they don't want to confront their own ignorance. And so, you know, I think we have to kind of look and say, we don't know much about this. But clearly, like you said, the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, the Iranians have a huge presence in Venezuela, for example, which is 400 miles away. Um, hmm. We have to kind of try to uh, get some baseline understanding of this that our media won't give us, which is yes. you know, exactly what I'm trying to do at Breitbart, is to make you feel yeah. comfortable reading about this stuff and learning about this stuff without feeling like it's overwhelming and you're never going to get it. Oh, um, it is good. very accessible.
0: What, what a mission statement. That's very good. <laughs> That's very good. Very important. And you're what right, Like we said, baseline, we don't need to become experts in the field because that can exactly. be, you mentioned not only overwhelming, but it can be like discouraging. It's like, well, I can't even pronounce this word. Uh, exactly. you know, so what's the point, but no, there, and if you know baseline, you're way ahead of the game. You you're smarter than 95% mm-hmm. of the people on these things, uh, thanks to Francis. All right, very good. Uh, we got 60 seconds. What's What happened in um, uh, Pakistan?
4: Um, there was a bombing that was believed to be by ISIS on the Afghanistan border, and this is basically, I like to think of it as a Biden problem because ISIS in Afghanistan is a reaction to the Taliban taking power, and now we have ISIS bombing across the border into Pakistan, so we have this international threat that is born out of Biden extending the Afghan war and then abruptly ending it, and now you have you know the Taliban uh, basically aiding terrorism um, outside
0: of its own borders. Yeah, we don't hear a lot about Afghanistan anymore. Uh, have we just mm-hmm. totally given up? Even not not only militarily, but we've just given up even media wise when it comes to Afghanistan. We're just like whatever. You guys are on your own now.
4: Uh, yeah, and you're not. You're probably not going to hear anything as the closer the presidential election gets, the less Biden's going to want to talk about it.
0: Yeah. Definitely. All right, Francis Martel, Breitbart News World Editor. Francis, wonderful. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you so much for having yeah.
0: me. I always feel so good after talking to Francis. Like, I like, I feel I feel more informed. I feel like I get it. Again, I love that mission statement. Like, I, I think we should be a people who care and know about other parts of the world and how it affects us, of course. I'm a man.
2: American made. I got American parts.
0: Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Again, the whole show is on Sirius XM Patreon every morning, 6 to 9 a.m. We put the whole podcast up there as well. Uh, but hopefully you enjoy just a little taste here on Breitbart News Daily. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we'll do give more details because every day it's getting worse for old Joe. Give more details on that closed door testimony from Devin Archer. Great character name to jump in the, the mix here uh devin archer and what he says was joe's involvement with hunter biden's corruption seems like it's not just hunter biden's corruption anymore that's on tomorrow's show hope you can join us